First, I want to extend a special thank you uh, to our firemen who are here at this Mass for all that they do, uh, selflessly giving themselves uh, for all the surrounding Mandan communities. So thank you, gentlemen, for all you do. I recently read <clears throat> two quotes this last week, and they've been, they've been stuck in my mind and my heart. I can't really shake them. And the first one is this. Joy is the infallible sign of God's presence in the soul. And the second one is from G.K. Chesterton, who said, Joy is the gigantic secret of Christianity. But as I, you know, before I was assigned here, I traveled a lot, did a lot of speaking and, and went around and I, I don't see a lot of joy. You know, when, when people come out of mass, I don't see a lot of joy. I see boredom. I see frustration. But I don't see joy. So what is, what is killing joy in the Christian what is killing joy in the church? I think if you ask the average person, they would say, well, it's all this Catholic guilt. How can we be joyful as all we do is feel Catholic guilt? I remember a friend of mine said, I don't know why they call it Catholic. When you do something bad, you should feel guilty. If you don't, if you do something bad and never feel guilt, we have a word for that. It's a psychopath. I just saw the movie Joker. This last week. If you want to see what somebody looks like that doesn't feel guilt, watch that movie. And you'll come out of that movie and say, you know, guilt really isn't that bad after all. It's kind of good. We need it a little bit. I think it was C.S. Lewis said that guilt is to the soul what pain is to the body. When I was a little kid, you can see it after Mass if you want, I got a scar on my hand because I saw the stove and there was this big orange burner. And I thought, that was kind of neat, and I should touch it. Guess what I never did ever again? Touch a red-hot burner. Or when I was younger, and my friends dared me to lick the flagpole in, in winter. I wasn't a very smart child. But guess what I never did again? Because pain is saying to the body, don't do this anymore. It hurts. And guilt is saying to the soul, don't do this anymore. It's hurting you. So it can't be guilt that's killing our joy. <clears throat> what about anxiety? There's a lot to worry about in the modern day and age. And I just read this article. I don't know if you guys are going to find this as fascinating as I did. I thought this was incredible. This article said that 40% of the things you and I worry about are things that will never happen to us. 40%. That's almost half. I just came back from Rome. And I've gone over there many times. I just can't shake the anxiety of flying over the ocean. I think it's because I'm in a, you know, we're doing 500 miles an hour at 30,000 feet in a giant fuel tank. Maybe that's it. But here's the fear. This is how stupid this is. My fear is not that I'm going to die in a plane crash in the ocean. My fear is that I'm going to survive the crash and then I'm going to be in one of those little rafts and have to survive for like weeks and then starve to death. It's so stupid. 40% of the things. There was a survey in this article that they did 
they asked people, which is more dangerous for your family to have? A gun in the house or a pool in your backyard? Hands down, everybody said a gun. You are a hundred times more likely to have an accident with a pool than you are with a gun. <clears throat> it's just 40, 40% will never happen to us. Then they said 30% of our worries are about things that happened in the past, which you can't do anything about. So we are at 70% of the things that we are anxious about, we worry about, there's nothing we can do about them. And 40% will never happen to us. Then, it just gets better, 12%, 12% of the things we worry about have to do with health. Now, I don't know about you, I'm a hypochondriac. So out of all this anxiety stuff, I'm about 90% here. I get a sore throat, I got throat cancer. I got a headache, I have a tumor. I was playing football with the kids at recess and slipped and fell on my back. Later on that night, I'm sitting there and I'm like, my lower back hurts. You know what my first thought was? My kidney's shutting down. <laughs> what is the matter with me? What is the matter with us? It's incredible. Or this last week I went to Hardee's, which was a bad decision. <laughs> but I went to Hardee's, I came back, I'm like not feeling, my stomach's all messed up. I think I have Ebola. I'm not thinking at all about, you know, the heart disease I'm cultivating or my arteries closing up because I'm eating at Hardee's. I'm thinking I have Ebola. Unbelievable. And then 10%, 10% are worrying about what others think about me, which you can't change. This brings us to a grand total, you guys, of 92% of the things we worry about, we can't do anything about. Do you think maybe if we focused on the 8% that we can actually do something about, we might have a little bit more joy in our life? Maybe. But I think above guilt, above anxiety, I think the, the number one killer of joy, expectation. That we, our expectations are not grounded in reality. And there's a reason for this. There's a, a man, his name is Barry Schwartz. He's a psychologist on the East Coast. And he has a theory, he calls it the paradox of choice. He said, in the Western world, we have so many choices. And at first, that can seem like a really, really good thing. Then he said, but back in the day, if you remember, like, when you went and bought a pair of jeans, you didn't have very many options, and you knew they weren't going to really quite fit you, and they were going to be uncomfortable. You remember the saying, son, you had to break your jeans in, right? You just knew it was going to be terrible for at least three weeks until they were broken in, they fit. And that's just the way jeans were. So there was no, everybody was just like, this is going to stink for a while. Now, <laughs> I went to buy a pair of jeans, I was paralyzed. It's unbelievable. That, you know, back in the day, it was one size, one cut. Now, I mean, you have boot cut, wide leg, casual fit, skinny jeans, washed, unwashed, torn, not torn. And then not to mention the brands, the styles, the colors. I mean, I said to the guy, he's like, what do you want? I'm like, just pick something for me. All I know is I don't want skinny jeans. <laughs> That's all I know. 
But what it does is it puts into our head this expectation that there is the perfect pair of jeans. So when I'm going shopping, I'm not going shopping for jeans. I'm going shopping for the perfect pair of jeans. And when we set that up and that you know, spills over into our culture, which it has, we get unreal expectations that we really believe. I see this in young people. They're going to have the perfect job with the perfect wife or the perfect husband in the perfect city with the perfect house and the perfect family. And then all of a sudden reality sets in. They're like, oh, I didn't expect this at all. And it just kills their joy. And you know what the final problem with expectation is? That instead of appreciating my job, which might be a good job, or appreciating my husband or wife, who might be a good spouse, and realizing that I'm better off than a lot of people. All we do, expectation does is takes your eyes off of the present and puts them onto the what if. What if I wouldn't have married him? What if I wouldn't have married her? What if I would have not gotten this degree? And it kills our joy. You guys, we are surrounded by so much goodness. We are so blessed simply by just living in this country. And yet what happens? We complain about what we don't have. I'm going to tell you what brings you real joy. Real authentic joy. You guys don't look near excited as I thought you were going. Like I'm giving you, this is it. This is what brings, this is the gigantic secret of joy that G.K. Chesterton is talking about. Gratitude. Thankfulness. We hear about it, it's across the readings today. And yet out of the ten guys that are cured, how many say thank you? One. One. If you were cured of leprosy, leprosy was everything back in the day. If you had it, you were, you were a dead man walking. And yet only one says thank you. I challenge you to practice gratitude every day. There is so much to be grateful for. And I'm going to give you an example, all from, the, not from the positive side. That would be easy. I can walk. I have hair. I can hear. I have health. I can see. I mean, blah, I can keep going for hours with that. I'm going to go from the negative. This is what it sounds like. I'm thankful for the mess I have to clean up after a party because it means I have friends. I'm thankful for the taxes I pay because it means I'm employed. I'm thankful for the clothes that fit a little too snug because it means I have enough to eat. I'm thankful for a lawn that needs mowing, windows that need cleaning, gutters that need fixing because it means I have a home. I'm thankful that I have to get up in the middle of the night to my screaming child who won't go to sleep because it means I'm a mother. It means I'm a father. I'm thankful for all the complaining I do about the government because it means I have the freedom of speech. I'm thankful for the spot I find at the far end of the parking lot because it means I can walk. I'm thankful for the big heating bill in the winter because it means I'm warm. And I'm thankful for the alarm that goes off early, early, early every morning because it means I'm alive. There is always something to be grateful for. And the more gratitude you have, the more joy you will have. You ever notice that the most joyful people are the most grateful people? It's a telltale sign. The Catholic spiritual master, Meister Eckhart, who was a Dominican, he said the most important prayer is just two words. Thank you. 
Thank you. When is the last time you've said those two words to Almighty God? I challenge you this week to pick for 20 things every day, 20 things that you're grateful for. And at the end of those 20 things, I want you to simply turn to God and say, thank you.